All right, everyone, this is Anthony Diaz with the Pop Health Show. The show is exploring the intersection between impact and technology. And along those lines, I'm very enthused and excited to have Sherrick Salar on the show today. Sherrick uh, has an amazing background in the, the field of impact. He's done some great things. I'm not going to steal his thunder, but Sherrick uh, is a senior partner at Mesoterra Capital, and he's also a partner at Landigen Invest as well. So he's doing some really great things in the space. He's done some great things. I'm not going to steal his thunder. Sherrick, welcome to the show. <laughs> Hi, Anthony. Glad to be here. Great to have you. I appreciate you making time and I appreciate you peeling off, uh, you know, energy and focus off your busy schedule to do this with me. I, I, I'm really enthused to understand uh, what you what you've been up to lately, what you think about the future. But origin stories are really important to our audience. They're important to me. Why we do what we do. Maybe teleport us back to where things started for you and what started to lead you down this path as far back as you want to go. Um, but just let's just listen to how things started for you. Oh, well, that's easy. Um, I actually started as, um, you know, I started in sales for uh, JP Morgan uh, uh, doing credit risk. And um, yeah, I think uh, after I went through the sales training program, I, I, I thought, wow, this is this is magic. And, uh, you know, there's there's no feeling in the world that comes close to uh you know, being able to convince somebody to, you know, buy your product, mm -hmm. you know, uh, uh, and that, that really, uh, you know, sets you apart, um, especially if you, if, if that's where you start your career um, mm -hmm. very early in life. Um, I'd love to tell you that, you know, um, uh, that I wanted to do that every day of my life, but that feeling just lasted for about a week. Uh, <laughs> but the, but uh, I was at that gig for about a year and a half. And, you know, I, I, I don't think the learnings from that gig have ever left me. Mm. Um, I think if, if you're, you're in a really strong, you know, sales program, uh, especially in a very, uh, you know, cutthroat industry, um, the learnings that you take away from there, um, that really defines a lot of who you become as a professional over time. Um, I don't know if you've noticed this, but a lot of people who, um, you know, with, with, with a lot of people, the place where they started their career uh, or the function or the domain in which they started their career, uh, that sort of becomes defining, you know, uh, that, that becomes almost like a lens through which they see everything from then on. Would you agree? Mm -hmm. I agree. I agree. And uh, it is interesting. It comes full circle. Sometimes you wind up you know, trying to solve the problem in that industry at a greater way also later on in your career. Um, and, you know, in retrospect, yeah, I, I parents need to realize how much they need to kind of emphasize that to their kid that that first job that they start off with really, right? So, um, but it does sound at least for you, though, it served as a really great firm foundation discipline wise, you know, industry perspective, right, even though it might not have been your calling at the time, you know, at, at least it's like, you know, you, you live in training, right? It started to serve as your, like your, your training ground, right? For what, what was, what was next, right? So. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think um, as far as, you know, um, business in general is concerned or entrepreneurship is concerned. I, I always tell people this, if you're not a salesman first, if, if, if you cannot go out there and be selling your product all the time, uh, you have no business being in entrepreneurship. Right. Uh, that is one of the most critical, most important skills that will set you apart. 
Um, and in fact, you know, um, running a business is hard, you know, starting a business is yeah. hard. Um, and the selling starts way before you even know it. You know, the, the idea creeps into your head and you have to sell it to yourself first. Uh, and then, you know, you, you, you have to convince uh, the people around you, perhaps, you know, your family and friends, uh, you know, how this, this is something that could really work and that, that, that you're the best person to take it, take it forward. Um, and then, you know, you're selling the, the pitch deck to a bunch of investors, and then you're selling, you know, the idea of what this company is going to be in a few years to a bunch of potential employees. And that's just how the cycle goes, uh, so on and so forth. Um, so I think, you know, it's, it's really important, um, to know how to be an uninhibited salesperson first, um, with absolutely, you know, sort of no, um, no, um, inhibitions and no, no shame about it. Um, you know, and that, that's something that we, we're not really trained, you know, uh, we, we're not really trained that way, yeah. uh, in an, in a lot of cultures around the world. Um, but what did you learn your sales that, skills? Did you, did you read a book? Is there like a, a book, a regimen, um, your dad that was sales or just a personality? Usually I find it's like those four, or maybe sometimes it's a combination. Um, sometimes it's also a trigger, right? You start, you become an entrepreneur and you're, you realize like, okay, I better go back and learn, you know, all of these four sales methods. I better listen to Zig Ziglar, right. And, and you start doing the checklist, but what was the turning point for you? Was it, has that always been in your DNA, like a natural, um, you know, how to transfer enthusiasm and, and convince the other person to a decision? I or? don't think so. Uh, I think there's a lot of people who are born into it and they're lucky. Mm -hmm. And then there's those of us who, who, who have to learn. Um, and I think it's different for different people. There's no one size fits all methodology. Yeah. But, um, you know, I think ideally at the end of the day, at least, you know, since you asked uh, what, what really worked for me was, being able to uh, learn from people who were at JP Morgan uh, in my first job. And uh, I think they made sure that, um, you know, I, I, my, my, my task was cut out for me. It was the most difficult thing in the world to do, you know, uh, trying to sell, uh, you know, something like a credit risk solution to somebody who already has money and understands money. Uh, it's, you know, it's probably the hardest thing, <laughs> probably the hardest thing. <laughs> Uh, but that is really the best way to learn it. It's from practice um, and, you know, and to not have inhibitions. And that's that's what I always say, not have inhibitions. Um, and if you spend enough time at it, eventually most customers will fall into one of, uh, you know, a few tropes. Mm -hmm. um, and then you can you can recognize them from a distance. Yeah. Um, you know, this person is going to have these objections and this person is going to want these features and this person is and that's perhaps the earliest um you know learnings you have about user centricity and uh and and customer relationships and you know you know you know how yeah. the idea of uh, marketing works um but as far as um you know reading material is concerned i would say uh there's there's a wealth of stuff out there um, and it's, uh, it's really important to make a distinction between what is marketing and what is sales. Right. And a lot of companies, I see a lot of people getting, you know, this kind of, this, all of it mixed up and not being able to, you know, sort of separate the two. They're very, very, you know, the, the thought process behind them is very different. And, you know, um, there, there's not as many, um, you know, I would say, uh, companies that focus on, 
how to push the idea of sales or how right. to better the idea, the science of sales, except for the companies that are trying to integrate it with some kind of technology, you know, companies that try to say, hey, you know, you need to use all of these LinkedIn uh, extensions and plugins and this kind of, you know, uh, uh, these kind of matrices and, and you know, these are all the situations that you would be in. Um, right. But uh, a lot of that is, you know, um, very heavily dependent on who you personally are as a person. And there's lots of, you know, what we call rainmaker dependencies, obviously. Um, but, uh, you know, as far as, um, you know, selling is concerned, I think marketing is something that you can learn a lot of from books, mm -hmm. but selling is a very personal thing and it's yes. always great to have a good mentor. Yeah. 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 No, it's, you know, I, I wish that they taught sales in school at a young age. I wish that as you got older, they got into the more sophisticated methods. You know, the best thing I think a parent could do is, is make their kid on the week or, or present the joy of the lemonade stand or creating a product and selling it, whether it's a pet rock business or something like that. And uh, yeah, I'm right there with you. You know, there's so many modern tools and digital things that, that like now it's like the new flavor of digital gimmicks that just serve as filters and distractions for the core element of, of, you know, Hey, did I present a really good product or service that I build a good relationship and trust with you? Is there anything you see preventing you from moving forward today? And then really kind of, you know, there's different methods, but what I like about your career is that you took that kind of base. And then I could imagine as you, as you transferred it, if correct me, I'm saying like you went into like insurance uh, you went into private equity, right? Healthcare, right? As well. And different personas, different buying patterns and things like that. Tell me a little bit about that journey, how, how you moved between those industries, kept that common thread of business and sales. Uh, and then what led you to where you're at today, focusing on impact and maybe any common, you know, uh, commonness between those, those, uh, those industries, you know? Sure. Um, I think that's a great question. I, um, Initially, when I was, you know, um, getting out of, you know, doing this for um, JP Morgan, I think one of the key lookouts for me very early on, this was about 20 years ago, very early on in my career. Um, uh, one of the key lookouts for me was, okay, I'm working with a company that is the best in its class right now. And if I am moving, I would like to work with another company that is the best in their class. Um, they, they need to be the best at what they do. And uh, I don't care if, you know, I'm, I'm at the entry level uh, or, or, you know, at a very junior level, but that's the kind of company I wanted to work with. So I got into, you know, this insurance company, which, you know, at, at the time was probably, you know, the largest and possibly the oldest company, um, you know, of its kind. Um, but what was really interesting for me to understand there was how, you know, that world views risk mm -hmm. and how important it is to be able to quantify risk and metricize risk and and you know when you think about uh you know underwriting and you know the actuarial sciences um the way they look at risk um that i think you know obviously we're talking about it in a very you know sort of uh at a macro level mm -hmm. but um you know being able to understand risk i think um for any kind of um business person or entrepreneur, I think it's very, very important. That's the, that's the second, you know, sort of best skill that you can have uh, after being a, after learning how to sell really well, I think understanding risk and develop, developing a really personal 
personal metric for how you assess risk um, and how you understand you know the risks involved because as as a as an entrepreneur uh, or or any kind of senior professional you are constantly in the business of decision making um, and you know there's there's obviously a whole bunch of you know uh, things that you could choose from at any given point of time and you, we all operate in really uh, really complex multivariate uh, environments and uh, you know if there is a superpower that you could have in in being able to navigate that in being able to aid in decision support that would be um, if you could instantly apportion different you know amounts of risk to different kinds of decision outcomes uh, and I think that is something that could, uh, you know, really set you apart from everybody else, uh, you know, in the space. Eventually, you know, as as you go uh, further on in your career, I think it becomes a it becomes everything becomes more of a mind game, right? You can hire, uh, you know, the best people. Uh, mm-hmm. You can all the same books, and you know, uh, sometimes you can you can also have you know teams that are just clones of each other. But as you go further on in your career, you know, in age, tenure, and, you know, in seniority and, you know, growing in the markets, it, everything boils down to the mental game. Uh, everything mm-hmm. boils down to how well you do, you know, under pressure and, and in, in situations where multivariate, you know, uh, sort of, uh, you know, let's say there's, there's lots of variables vying for your attention and, and, and the decision process has to flow one way or the other. So, um, so yeah, I, I, like you said, I went from, um, you know, from um, sales in the beginning to insurance. And then, you know, um, I went into healthcare shortly after that. And um, that was actually, a, that was actually a very personal decision for me. Mm-hmm. I think when you, when you step into entrepreneurship for the first time, um or 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 at any time i think it's a hard place to be the odds are always stacked against you um and you know you need a very strong personal reason for why you are doing this um which you know sort of keeps you going so in my case when i started my first uh healthcare company there was a, i think the mid 2000s i think it was about 2005 mm-hmm. i had, uh, lost my father to a long bout with cancer so, you know, dealing with it for four years, five years. And, you know, I was um, deeply entrenched in, you know, what was going on. And, you know, I was noticing everything that was going on in, you know, hospitals with doctors, you know, with, with all of these companies in between two countries. And uh, and I think that is something that, you know, if I'm not wrong, uh, you relate to as well. I think you went through something similar with your father. Um, and, and you know, he, you had a similar experience before you started your uh, company in healthcare. Uh, is that correct? That's correct. That's correct. Yeah. My father had a predisposed heart condition and mm-hmm. first heart attack was his last. And so similar, similar sort of story, uh, except you, you had it elongated. Mine was quick out of the blue. Right. And neither are good, you know, and, but they are really defining moments and, um, um, you know, but in retrospect, obviously those circumstances, if you can turn them for good, right. Like you did with your healthcare company, um, but, um, but yeah, I'd love to hear more about, about that. And then also how it sounds like maybe even through those experiences, then you started even realizing like, Hey, I can, I can make more of an impact here, not just on health. Right. And go to the next level, but just love to hear more about that. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. So, uh, with, I think with, with that particular experience that I had, 
you know, um, a lot of people who are generally, you know, from an engineering background or who like solving problems, um, they, they are very cognizant of what's wrong around them. Yeah. And I don't think anybody in today's world is spared, you know, the, the nightmares that we face with, you know, uh, healthcare. You could be anywhere in the world. You could be, you know, in, uh, you know, in the United States or you could be, you know, in, in Sweden or in Dubai or, you know, in the south of India. Um, the problems are everywhere. It's a very fragmented industry. Um, the ecosystem, let's say, in the Middle East is very different from the ecosystem in India, is very different from the ecosystem in the USA. So mm -hmm. like in tech, um, where, you know, there is a simplistic singular solution that can scale globally in healthcare, that is almost impossible. Um, every ecosystem has its own issues and is unique in its own ways. Yeah. Um, only commonalities there are perhaps, you know, the, 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 the really large players like, like the pharma companies, for example, you know, you could have a company that's uh, headquartered in the USA, making a drug out of their, you know, subsidiary in Sweden, which sells to customers in Bangladesh for a very particular strain uh, that they're trying to solve for. And that's okay. But as far as things like, you know, EHR and EMR systems and, and, you know, uh, healthcare policy in general, and SOPs are concerned and, and, and exactly what you're trying to optimize and solve for. Uh, sometimes it's it's really diverse within a single country as well, right? Yeah. So in my case, across those four or five years that, you know, I, I was, uh, you know, dealing with, you know, um, all of the different doctors and oncology departments between two or three countries with my dad's illness, um, I would notice problems everywhere, right? You You step into a hospital and you say, there's too many waiting lines, you know, why, why hasn't this been dealt with? Here's a problem somebody needs to solve. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I remember a few years ago, I had a relative who was going through, uh, who had to go, go into a surgery the very next day. And, you know, somebody had to sign a consent form. And I said, hey, I don't have enough information to make the decision. And nobody had solved that problem. There was a problem somebody needed to solve. Mm -hmm. I was, you know, uh, in, in, an emergency room last year in Sweden uh, because of an injury and I had to wait for five hours. Um, and, you know, that's, that's something that's gotten so normalized and wow. there's a problem, you know, you need to solve. So with healthcare across the world, wherever you are, people face so many issues nonstop. And unfortunately, given the nature of the industry, it's the kind of space where you, there are no disruptors, you know, there's, there are no quick, you know, sort of uh, changes that you can make or quick things that you can, quick solutions that you can deploy. I also feel there's not as many people that are solving for real problems there. Uh, you know, somehow it's the industry that everyone is exposed to in one way or the other. Uh, there isn't a single person who hasn't, you know, uh, lost a loved one or, you know, had a personal, you know, sort of illness that they had to go to hospital for or, or, or you know, had, had some kind of issue. So people are aware of the problems. Most people have a personal deeper insight into the problem. Mm -hmm. uh, most people are familiar with the ecosystem over a long period of time. Like you've gone in and out of hospitals and, you know, clinics, you know, your, your, sometimes your whole life, you know, uh, and still there's not as many people who get into healthcare as a business. You know, um, and that's that's really unfortunate. You know, I, yeah. I every time you see all these entrepreneurs who are like, I really want to do something with my life, but I'm just looking for that good problem to solve. Like, I don't know what yeah. I need to work on. 
I, I'm really amazed. I'm, I'm like, there's, you know, if you've ever been to a hospital, there's like a million problems right there staring at you in the face. And I think all of you need to pick one and just, you know, um, yeah. get to it. Um, and it's really unfortunate that, you know, there's not as many people solving for healthcare even now. Yeah. Yeah. I'm right there with you. I mean, it's, it, I, I find it with founders, it's, uh, it's this balance between that, that evades from solving problems in healthcare, this, uh, Fear disguises practicality, but on the other side also, it's not getting your hands dirty. Kind of like impact, right? Like impact is a dirty business and you think about it, right? Like when you talk about big topics like energy, right? You have to understand all the nuances of how energy is produced, where does it go and where does it come from? And it's it's a dirty industry when you think about it, right? Like physically. And then we talk about healthcare or homelessness for that matter, you really, to understand homelessness, you actually need to serve the homeless. You actually need to go out and actually really see the dimensions of substance abuse of, of where people are at. And so it's it's kind of like, you kind of want to talk about it in a good way, but who actually, what entrepreneur actually wants to go out and actually spend three hours with the homeless talking about stories and understanding and understanding it's it's a byproduct of really living wage. It's a mental health problem. It's a special needs problem. It's a medical, you know, it's, um, you know, and so, so yeah, entrepreneurs, I think um, I, I think that's also just comes with probably grooming as well. Like a lot of the schools need to go into like to solve the deeper problems. You got to get your hands dirty and kind of, you know, ushering in more programs where people can get into the, the nuances of understanding carbon, understanding climate, understanding how your food is produced and, you know, your food's grown, grown in the dirt, same dirt where a lot of these energy sources and different, you know, mechanisms are harvesting energy in different interesting ways as well. And so um, getting down to those basic principles, but sorry, I didn't mean to, to go down that, that rabbit hole, but, but I'm right there with you. I'm right there with you. And I love the, the commonality when you, when you start, and that's where I was at as well, too. I mean, I, I had a stint at a boating company that really turned me on to um, I was doing IT for a boating company for all of Florida. And that really triggered the, the the concepts of energy and climate in me. Uh, and that was after my dad passed away. Um, you know, I didn't start Health Hero then, but then it's kind of led us into, well, what are we really trying to do? What are we really trying to solve? What, well, why does that matter that people are healthy? Why does it matter that we make people healthy? Why does that matter that we make, you know, the planet healthy? If you think about it at the end of the day, it's just this start, you start realizing like, why are these two things disconnected? They weren't naturally meant to be disconnected. So are we in a fallen, you know, unnatural order of this disconnection by industry? And the answer is yes. If you think about it, let's just say none of that is by intent. It just happens. You just have so many different industries out there that haven't been coordinated for so long. So you don't really have a, a you know, an emperor of the world coordinating all of this all. So you have what it has. So it's the entrepreneur's job to cut across. Right. And, uh, it takes a, it takes a level of bravery. That's, that's probably not common in your, your, your typical natural order of entrepreneurs, but I guess, uh, Sharik, uh, keep going here. Tell me a little bit about, you know, when you did the healthcare company and tell me also, I'd love to hear about like, you know, some of the things that you're focused on and impact these days. I know prior conversation to this, we were talking about some of the investments you guys are doing in the space you know, all of these things were related to health, right? In some way or some some fashion, right? Either downstream, upstream, but I just love to hear more. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think in the last few years, I think almost, you know, all companies that are in technology or companies that are in, you know, private capital have started to take healthcare a lot more seriously, especially because of the pandemic. Um, to us, especially the big revelation was, you know, how, um, how less, 
you know, big technology is or, or big tech is involved in, um, you know, in supporting the healthcare industry. And uh, also the deep distinctions between, you know, how, let's say, private healthcare and public healthcare operates in different parts of the world. Um, for instance, you know, in, in India, um, we have, you know, a very, um, a very distinct uh, ecosystem, which has a very large amount of private uh, players mm -hmm. and like a three-tiered system where, um, you know, you have like a primary care network that has all your, you know, GPs and, um, and, and there's a secondary care network with all your um, uh, consultants. And then you have the tertiary care network with, you know, the actual surgeons and, you know, um, the level of complexity increases as, you know, you, you move higher on in this and um, the, the job of every, you know, let's say layer is to also act as a filtration layer. So there's not a lot of load on the tertiary care system. Having said that, every surgeon in India is probably still, you know, um, connected directly to a, to, you know, a network of, you know, about a hundred odd, you know, at least a hundred to a few hundreds uh, of, you know, GPs and consultants who are constantly pushing patients up there that need surgery. Um, and, you know, this, this assembly line, the supply chain, um, you know, is working around the clock, probably why, you know, and these are really overburdened systems. I feel this is just, this could just be my personal opinion, but, these are all systems that are really, really, you know, um, overburdened and, um, you know, they're, they're constantly running 24 seven, which kind of slows down the pace of innovation as well. You know, uh, a senior doctor does not really have the time to, you know, take a break from what he's doing and, and think, Hey, you know, here are some systemic problems that I could fix for more efficiency mm -hmm. that does not happen. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, what we noticed in the, during the pandemic was also that, you know, public health operates on completely different parameters and public health, you know, is, is a very different ball game. Um, and the rules that apply in private healthcare absolutely do not, uh, you know, apply there. Um, mm -hmm. And there are lots and lots of countries around the world where you're still, uh, you know, trying to fight, um, you know, a potential epidemic arising from things like uh, tuberculosis or, or, you know, um, uh, India famously, uh, you know, had polio um, still going around until, you know, uh, about a decade or so ago, and they were able to completely eradicate it with the help of, you know, um, lots of different uh, state actors at, you know, at, at different levels of federalism, and then, you know, civil society organizations and healthcare organizations, and, you know, even having, you know, mainstream uh, movie stars going out on, on, on television and talking to people about how important it was to get your kids vaccinated, uh, you know, um, a few years into the birth. But across Asia, across, uh, you know, Africa, in several parts of, you know, uh, uh, the global south, you have so many countries that are still dealing with, you know, public health issues, you know, and um, that is another really huge opportunity that I see. Um, but in both of these spaces, whether it's it's, it's private healthcare or, or public healthcare, I think, um, there needs to be a, a, a paradigm shift, you know, on, on how um, institutions are structured. So there's more avenues for interventions, you know, uh, in, 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 you know, industries like SAS, um, a young graduate from, you know, a great, uh, from a great school who knows a little bit of coding can actually pick a problem and solve it. And, you know, there's, there's a VC out there who's willing to, you know, invest in him and, you um, him or her and then 
you know, uh, they could actually take that product to market in, in a matter of, you know, months. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, that growth cycle is, is much faster and that's what everyone's looking for. But in healthcare, it's just, you know, there, there are so many redundancies and it's, 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 it's a lot slower and, um, you know, it's, it's a lot harder to, you know, sort of drag things into, um, into place. And there are so many different, you know, levels of uh, stakeholders uh, at different parts of the hierarchy that need to get involved and, you know, sort of to get something pushed through. Um, I do see a lot of interesting, um, you know, movement there, um, especially with, um, let's say, for instance, you know, now when everyone's talking about um, AI and that's the new buzzword, um, I do notice, you know, that there's, there's, uh, you know, some, some men in lab coats in laboratories out there who are thinking, hey, you know, this is something that could help us um, expedite drug discovery. And, you know, that could really be a game changer because it's, 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 it's a problem of, you know, big data and, and you know, multiple variables. Um, and I think as you see a lot more of, uh, you know, how there was a time when technocrats really took, you know, Silicon Valley forward, people who understood tech, and then they also understood a lot of business. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you will have a lot of, um, you know, you will have a lot of young graduates in, in biotech and med tech, people who understand, you know, life sciences and biosciences, but they also understand technology to a large degree. And we need these, you know, sort of hybrid, um, you know, uh, professionals to sort of start thinking about how technology can integrate, you know, with problems in healthcare to uh, create, you know, larger scale impact and uh, probably solve for, for like, you know, problems that are um, larger in scale, um, probably that have, you know, global scalability. Um, and to some degree, I think uh, the other sectors you mentioned were also quite similar. Um, I think the problems of, you know, uh, decarbonization and the, and the problems of, you know, um, that, you know, a lot of climate companies are trying to deal with uh, the problems of, you know, electrification and so on and so forth. These are also very similar multivariate problems with, you know, governments as, as you know, the top level of uh, perhaps stakeholders and then you have consumers at the bottom and everyone's involved you know so it's it's mm-hmm. not as see as building you know an enterprise product that you're trying to sell you know to possibly a, a small bunch of companies um Derek let me ask you what for our listeners out there that may not be so familiar with impact investing ESG maybe you can give just a quick highlight of what what is it you know, how it, you know, I think we talked a little bit how it relates to healthcare, but tell us a little bit of what, what is it? How, uh, how does it work? Why is it so important, right? Like prior conversation this, we were talking about, it used to go from this philanthropic kind of look and feel to it, to mat- uh, the maturity of almost this intersection of, of, of data flow currency. Now there's, uh you know, equity and there's, there's all these different dimensions to it, but tell me, tell us, uh, if our listeners were all fourth graders, let's just say uh, at a fourth grade level, what is impact investing ESG? And maybe I'd love to hear like maybe some example investments or some spaces you guys have been investing in or super passionate about to invest further in. Sure. So um, simply put, I think, you know, the way we look at it is impact, um, impact investing is, um, you know, anything that drives, let's say, pushes the needle forward in something like, you know, the, let's say the sustainable development goals, right? Mm-hmm. You're looking at, uh, you know, you're looking at the UNSDG goals. And if the, there's a business 
that is committed to building something that actually moves the needle on any of those parameters, um, then effectively you can look at that as an impact business. Um, it's also a, a loosely thrown word. I've seen a lot of um, you know companies that do, let's say, fintech for you know rural livelihoods, uh, calling themselves uh, impact companies, and you you also have really huge companies that are trying to you know uh, uh, let's say uh, produce uh, green steel, for instance. Uh, and those are also companies that, you know, some like to uh, call themselves uh, impact driven companies. So I think um, the word is sort of loosely used right now. Mm-hmm. But as far as an investment pers- investments perspective is concerned, you, 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 as you rightly said, for the longest time, it was thought of as philanthropy because um, most investors and people in, in, in private capital and investment advisors are looking to deploy their capital in places where you have perhaps the highest, you know, um, return on your investment in the shortest amount of time. And, um, and that is also something that you're trying to metricize the risk around so that you can protect, you know, both your investments and, and, and your investors. Um, unfortunately, for the longest time, impact sector companies or impact driven companies um, did not have, you know, a, a great track record of returns or did not have a great track record of, uh, of you know, um, uh, uh, of how viable they were as investments. Um, of course, that has been changing a lot in the last few years. Um, in the Nordic region, for instance, we, we've actually been seeing, you know, um, three or four unicorns come from uh, the impact space. Um, impact investing today, even in, in I think um, if you if you look at you know the Nordic region, um, there's lots and lots of companies there that are focused on um, you know impact driven initiatives. Uh, you have a lot of startups in I think the UK is a really huge hub, both from impact investing and you know um, you know impact companies being started um, as as a as a result. I think and and both of these do go hand in hand. I think. You really need very powerful uh, enablers and, and ecosystems for good companies to be born and for good companies to thrive. Um, you know, Silicon Valley has you know has has um, great companies and 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 you know great uh, talent and you know a large amount of capital, um, and that ecosystem sort of leads to you know better companies being born that are able to solve um, you know larger problems better and faster. I think Stockholm, um, from that perspective, is a really, really great ecosystem. Um, mm-hmm. And I think places like uh, Bangalore, you know, um, uh, are definitely on the map. Um, and now you see a lot of new players in that space, you know, uh, uh, places like, you know, uh, all the new uh, startup ecosystems that are springing up in the Middle East, you know, um, Dubai, Riyadh, I think is going to be really interesting in the next, you know, 10 to 15 years. Mm-hmm. Um, you also have, you know, uh, places in the MENA region. I think uh, places like Egypt and Nigeria now, and 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 even Morocco for that matter, really bustling, you know, thriving, um, you know, startup ecosystems. Of course, they're 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 at a very nascent stage compared to, uh, say, you know, uh, uh, San Francisco, but uh, but they're on the way there. And mm-hmm. I think there's a lot more uh, young entrepreneurs in all of these places that look at. You know, hyper local problems that you're trying to solve, uh, a lot of which are impact driven. Mm-hmm. And um, I think what has uh, changed a lot in the last few years is the 
the the the viability of those business models and 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 the profitability of you know such companies as as you know as as good investments so i love I think, it yeah i love it no thank you for that overview and 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 drawing a uh, a common thread through what you guys are focused on and what you've been doing and and impact for our audience and um i guess one of my my last questions for you is more of kind of a big small question which is more of the future, you know, what do you want to see, what does success look like in impact? You know, obviously if all impact investments were made right and, and in a massive great way, what is, what does that change look like on a global level for you? And how would you like to have people said you played a role in that, in that future? So I just mm-hmm. like to hear your version of the future when it comes to impact related to the, to, to earth. Um, and, you know, what what work do you feel on your end you still need more to do on your end to kind of feel that fulfillment and that kind of that that ident that connection you know to that to that and do you feel like it's a calling like what is uh i just love to understand your connection to the future what you would view as ah uh, you know i'm satisfied i did i did i did some good work i was able to help at least you know and I, in a non-eocentric way of course but just more of like this is the impact i was able to facilitate just love to hear about the future yeah Big small question. <laughs> That's a loaded question. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or just you know, you just love to just hear what does success look like in the future? You know, you know, relative to impact, or just maybe not relative to impact at all. You know, it, you know, some people's whole life calling. You know, you find it's it's like uh, some person created a, a a water desalinization device and it got amazing distribution and provided clean water to X Y Z and. That's amazing. No, no need to do more than that, probably, right? But, but tell me a little bit about what what you'd like to see happen in the future. Well, um, you know, a, a few years ago, um, you know, um, I was at a conference, and um, you know how private equity and you know private capital can be an old boys club. And I remember yeah. I was at a, at a table, and um, you know, I I was trying to uh, you know uh assess um this this one company that everybody was talking about and the uh, i'm not going to quote anybody but the general consensus around the table was that these are problems for the next generation to solve right and so nobody on this table needs to be very worried about it right mm-hmm. and uh that is something that doesn't sit really well with me mm. uh, mm-hmm. For me, what success would mean is that um, if, you know, the new infrastructure that is being built and the new initiatives that are being built, um, the mindset that is being built around using capital for, you know, improving the state of the world and and, and for driving impact, you know, uh, we need to reverse this thinking of, you know, uh, it's a problem for the next generation. What right. I would really like is for you know the the you know the global business ecosystem to take take an active stand and say, how can we leave a better world? I know it sounds really cliche, but uh, you know uh, what I would really like is for for you know the younger you know sort of graduates or younger people coming out into you know the ecosystem to have a really optimistic view of the future and just to 
by default think that they're, you know, the future is greener and the future is cleaner and the future is brighter and it's a nicer world that they're stepping into with lesser problems. And, you know, there's constantly these two forces. There's, you know, you you hear newspapers and magazines talk about how uh, people are going to live forever and, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you have lesser issues and you will have lesser, you know, uh, you know, problems in the world. And then you also have a really dystopian view of the future where, you know, you have a lot more superbugs and you have a lot more, uh, you know, uh, ill effects of global warming and environmental damage and, you know, uh, really polluted cities where, you know, uh, young kids, you know, are afflicted with, um, you know, lung issues and so on and so forth, right? So there are these two visions of the future constantly. And, you know, uh, we we need to really tip the scales in favor of, you know, the side that looks a little more positive. It's a long-term vision. It's a long-term game. Um, if everybody, you know, sort of takes a call and says, um, you know, let's, let's uh, let go of, you know, a few dollars and a few pennies um, for like, you know, compounding, you know, positive results as far as, you know, impact is concerned um mm. i think that that could really shift the needle in favor of yeah of yeah i love it i love it yeah because if you think of how much how many dollars really are going to kind of just broad-based investments in which are are great you know these are great returns of 10 to 30 to 50 whatever x for the investor at the end of the day but what downstream problems does that cause if or what downstream opportunities could that impact, right? If those were diverted to more sustainable, you know, uh, there's there's probably so much opportunities for Xing if the the theses were coordinated across these different themes and that capital goes into those areas as well. You know, what would be the worst thing that would happen? Obviously, you have a better planet. Um, the downsize is that you know certain wealthy individuals behind the dollars may not get their certain X in a specific point solution. But, you know, um, no, it's fascinating. I agree with you. Absolutely. I mean, you can do a lot of change. There's so much dollars in the world that even just the slightest sway of that by one percentage point to 10 percentage points could probably, you know, shape our future uh, in, a, in a different way. But uh, Sherika, what I, what I wanted to say is this has been great really talking with you about, first of all, your origin story, what you focus on today, and what kind of led you down this path. And you know, we all go through trials and struggles and, you know, really the hero's journey is one that can take their experiences and challenges, what they go through and kind of propel them forward. And, you know, you've been able to kind of outline that, that, that narrative and how your life ex- expresses that. So I greatly appreciate that. I can definitely, you know, relate to it as well. But uh, Sherrick, I promise my last question for you is if our listeners would like to get a hold of you, follow you on Twitter or social media or engage with you. And, and if you'd like any of that to occur, what would be a good way to to do so? Sure. I think um, LinkedIn would be the best way, of course. Uh, yeah. I'm available on LinkedIn and, um, you know, uh, I'm called Sharik A. Salar on okay. LinkedIn. Or if you look for our company, Medzaterra, you should be able to find us there. Um, and, uh if you would like to send me an email, you can send me an email at sharik at landangen.com. That's L-A-N-D-A-N-G-E-N, sharik at landangen.com. And uh, yeah, it was great. great being here. Yeah. Thank you for being on the show. I really appreciate you sharing your story. This was great. I really appreciate it. 
Um, love to have you back, you know, every maybe six or 12 months just to hear on the kind of new things you guys are doing. <clears throat> it's a fast changing world. So I can imagine every new thing that you're doing, it's making such an impact. So uh, not to sound cliche, but that's a, that's a blessing. And that's, that's great. We love to hear about that. And to our listeners, again, this is the Pop Health Show. The show is for anyone that has a super strong passion in the intersection of technology, impact, health, and beyond. So, uh, Sherrick, again, this was great. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.